A lot of creativity is born when we do nothing. Yeah, sure. As a kind of a dreamer, I recognize that. <laughs> exactly. And even historically, if you study and you look at Edison, you look at the Fords of the world, all these people that were known for their ability to create, to invent, mm -hmm. modify, and so on. Mm -hmm. They always described how they came up with some of their greatest ideas and developments during times of solitude. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 125, pH Factor. Necessity is the mother. This is going to be a fun chat. This well, first of all, one of my favorite subjects, you know, Harry, mothers. Did you know that? Yeah, and mine is necessity. So, so there we go. <laughs> no, I'm very serious about the mother part. Yeah, I know you are. You're a mama's boy. What can I say? No. <laughs> oh, don't deny it. Hey, come on. It's fine to be a mama's boy. You know, mamas no, are I, important. I, I, very important. Right. Anyway, so yes, we're talking about necessity as the mother, dot, 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 of invention. Yeah. In other words, we're talking about creativity in crisis. Yes. Or creativity coming out of crisis, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And we've had, of course, many crises to look at and experience. Now, not as directly as the one we're having now. Mm-hmm. Historically, but uh, so much has come out of crisis. There's something about it that stirs the creative juices in human beings to A, adapt to the critical situation, mm -hmm. and B, thinking about the future and how different it could be and laying the seeds for that future. Confinement actually emboldens creativity in some ways, but you have to go through kind of a process. So, for example, with COVID 19, yep. when we first got hit with it, there was an impact that was felt that, mm -hmm. that didn't give you time to really think. All you felt was, or at least what a lot of people felt, was initial pain right. of some sort. They couldn't do what they wanted, financial, losing jobs, all of that. So you can't really be creative during a time when you're feeling the impact of something. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, what's the next step? Well, you kind of have to regroup. But you've also got time now that you didn't have before. Well, you're a few weeks into it. Right. right? Yeah. Right. You've got nowhere to go, and, yeah. and you've got to kind of uh, regroup. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens after you regroup? Now you have to figure out a way to come back. Yeah. So you're in the rebound period. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a lot of the creative process takes place, because mm -hmm. you've gotten through the initial shock of the impact Right. at a point now where you're going, huh. This is out of my control. This part is out of my control. However, suddenly I have time. Yeah. And time, when we talk about economics, there was a book, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. The essence of the book is that when you have wealth or when you have money, essentially what you're doing is you're buying time or you're gaining time. Because when you don't have money, you have to spend a lot of time to acquire money. Yep. Mm-hmm. So all of that ties into the creative process. Yeah, and early in the process, that threefold process you just mentioned, is the fact of the new environment that we have to live in through this crisis. Mm -hmm. So the first fact was distance. We had to stay apart. Mm -hmm. We're still in that phase. 
So one of the first creative acts that came out of that that I noticed, and many people around the world noticed, was on YouTube or on Facebook, where videos of Northern Italy popped up, where suddenly there was music mm -hmm. ringing throughout streets. The, the streets, but from balconies, and people joining in mm -hmm. in these choirs of these beautiful songs to comfort each other, to give people a sense of hope and connection. Mm -hmm. So that was mm -hmm. one of the first creative things that came out of it. And I was like, wow, that was so touching, right? So I was very impressed with that sort of creative act of connection. And then one of the other ones out of Italy that was kind of interesting for me mm -hmm. was seeing a video of these long poles being extended out from balconies with a glass of wine attached right. to the end. <laughs> six, seven, eight of them reaching out towards each other so that people could clink glasses. Yeah, amazing. And have a glass of wine. Now, that may seem trivial, no, but it is not trivial. No, it's not. No, hmm? no. Well, there are two things that are happening there. Yeah. Number one, you're expressing a value by making the effort. Yes, right. There's a symbolism as well. Not even distance can keep us from enjoying one another and enjoying the situation. Exactly. Exactly. And in terms of distance as well, with some kids in Asia and different parts of Asia, what they are having them do is create, make their own funky hats that have these sort of three foot <laughs> sort of spikes coming out of them, as colorful. A, as the distance fun, uh, As a kind of a reminder of distance <laughs> for the kids. Well, right? because two times three makes six feet, so if they're both wearing hats. Right. The <laughs> kids create them. Right, right. An act of creativity in response to the fact of the crisis. Other things that have come out which are really interesting are these caremongering groups. Yes. That have sprung up everywhere where people in communities have got together and say, we're healthy, we're young, we're capable. There are people who are in need. There are healthcare workers who are putting themselves in the front lines. Mm -hmm. There are seniors who are in need, etc. We can do something for each other. And so these caremongering communities have sprung up to deliver groceries to seniors who yes. can't get out, to deliver free lunches from community restaurants to healthcare mm -hmm. professionals on the front lines. Acts of care and compassion and generosity exhibited through the creation of these groups. It's a creation. It's a creative act. Yes, right? it is. Yeah, and it could last beyond this. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I, think, I think many of these things will. Um, look at the bubonic plague. Well, Shakespeare wrote one of his greatest plays, King Lear, during the bubonic plague. That's right. Newton That's right. developed calculus during the bubonic plague. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. Did he get a doctor to, to, <laughs> yeah. to have a look at that? <laughs> A lot of creativity is born when we do nothing. Yeah, sure. As a kind of a dreamer, I recognize that. <laughs> exactly. And even historically, if you study and you look at Edison, you look at the Fords of the world, all these people that were known for their ability to create, to invent, mm -hmm. modify, and so on, mm -hmm. they always described how they came up with some of their greatest ideas and developments during times of solitude. Sure. And we could even go back in history and cite some examples mm. of inventions that have come out of, for example, the Great Depression, which lasted for about 10 years. From right, 19, the 30s, 20, basically. 1929 to 1939, roughly, right. in there. And some of the things that came out of that period, for example, the first electric dry razor came out of that period. The first car radio came, yeah. was invented. The modern tampon 
ladies. Came in 1931. Uh, the chocolate chip cookie <laughs> was created. <laughs> now, putting tampon and chocolate chip cookie in the same <laughs> sentence, Harry, come on. It's a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The first uh, supermarket, King Cullen, opened in 1930. Oh, yeah. And Monopoly, the game Monopoly, came in 1935 by a fellow named Darrow, apparently. Yes. Parker Brothers then purchased the patent for that. Kind of a pseudo-wealth through a game, which was the antithesis of what was actually happening. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was one of those responses yeah. to a crisis, yes. in the middle of the crisis. Uh, and You uh, may yeah. be poor, but we're going to create a game where you can win millions and pretend. buy properties, and we're going to pretend. Pretend yeah. you're rich. Right. You know? So uh, these things all come out of necessity to respond to. Yes. Hardship, for example. Out of the Second World War. We got radio navigation. Known as radar. Yeah. We got synthetic rubber and oil. We got the development of V2, space travel and jet engines. Mm -hmm. We got nuclear power and computers mm -hmm. came out of that. All of these things. Well, things were accelerated. Yeah. Out of need. Out of need and have lasted. Yes. Forever and been applied to, quote unquote, normal civil Right. You take it out of a life. war situation and apply it to civil life. Yeah. Exactly. So these kinds of creative acts can come out of crisis. But to stay with COVID for a second, mm -hmm. to come back to COVID, speaking of which, you've got factories that would be producing widgets, retooling to produce ventilators. The same situation occurred during World War II, where auto factories were converted to military appliances and tanks and Indus armaments. Yeah, industry put on a war footing. In this case, it's a sort of a medical war footing. Mm -hmm. But that implies new techniques for adapting and changing technologies yes. and keeping industry fluid in a certain way for this kind of situation if mm -hmm. it happens again. Uh, people 3D printing PPE or other kinds of equipment yes. for masks for frontline workers. Mm -hmm. These are creative impulses that have come. And the creativity also involves a change in thinking. It's not just a physical transformation. Imagine, for example, a GM plant that manufactures cars and now has to manufacture masks or ventilators. Can you imagine what it would require in terms of the planning, the shifting of space and so on? Oh, yeah. And then Oftentimes, as we've discussed just now with regards to wartime, depression, and so on, things become the new norm. Mm -hmm. For example? So, for example, some of the things that we're going through right now, education, let's take education because education is pretty prominent these days. Yeah. Because that's been kind of the very obvious and initial uh, major hit. All these children that have had to be taken out of schools and so on, and not for a week or two, but now they're talking perhaps even a year or two. So a lot of families that probably would not have even thought of doing it, mm -hmm. you know, three mm -hmm. or four months ago are suddenly looking at homeschooling. Yep. They're getting online. Universities now are getting to the point where they're seriously looking at online courses on a much, much wider scale yeah. than they were previously. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. could be one of those things that I just mentioned that becomes the new norm. And a lot of parents of younger children who have had to really become homeschoolers, and it's a big challenge for a lot of Absolutely. parents. I get that. And, and some have risen to the challenge and some are struggling. Mm -hmm. But I kind of facilitate a homeschool kids chess group right. in the area here. And those kids are amazing and interesting and quite different in some ways yeah, than well, the norm. We've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, because they've been homeschooled. So maybe this might actually be an impulse to create a more homeschool 
environment for a lot of kids. Which will also, inherent in that, require shifts in the entire educational process and the way of thinking. And the work world, because these yes. parents who would normally go off to work can now work from home more easily because of this crisis. There have been uh, systems put in place for mm -hmm. people to work from home. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna go, hey, well, I'll just stay working from home and I've got my kids with me and that's okay, I can work with this. And I'll tell you firsthand that I've experienced this personally during this time. I've had an increasing number of people who've come to me for technical assistance mm -hmm. in that they've always had their computers and their smartphones and so on but they always use them minimally in terms of to make a basic phone call to send an email. But suddenly they're saying there are other things that we can do here. Yeah. Part of it is the home education. Part of it is also because they're doing so much more work from home that they're finding that even things perhaps that before they were getting from their assistants or other people in the office, they now have to do themselves. Right. You also start to see and adapt. Wow, this is a function that I perform every day now. Mm-hmm. Surely there has to be a more efficient way of doing this. I do not want to spend half an hour each day doing the exact same right. thing. So you're being forced to find creative solutions that you'd otherwise could be lazy about. <laughs> yes. And then and the part about that we talked about, the creativity. Well, if we agree that creativity is born out of a collective of experience, knowledge, how do you acquire those things? The first thing you need is the time to do that. Yeah, sure. And right. that's what we've got right now. And also the DIY idea in the work. Do it yourself. Right. That can be applied and is being applied to mundane domestic life. So the kids are home. They're being homeschooled or online learning. Mm -hmm. And they're helping mom bake bread, which is something maybe she hasn't been doing much or at all. She'd maybe go and buy a loaf from the local store, right? Yeah. So there's all of this bread-making fad. And inherent in that is also a lot of mutual appreciation for what the other does. Yep. A parent can also appreciate the learning process, which has been kind of out of their realm for many, many years in terms of the scholastic environment. Yep. And the child begins to appreciate perhaps the effort and the time that goes into the making of food that mom does every day. Sure. And, and they start to understand as well daily things like washing of clothes organizing their space, things that in the busyness of a normal day, they're running out the door at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, mom is frazzled, the kids are going where they're going. Yeah. There's really no time for that understanding and for that connection. Right, and kids are doing more crafts at home mm -hmm. because there's more time developing their creative sort of muscles, if you like. Right. There's a really interesting thing that I saw today on Facebook, fascinating, kind of sad at the same time, but really interesting. This person who wanted to hug their mother mm -hmm. and they wanted their son to hug his grandmother created this idea. She took like a clothesline mm -hmm. and put it across the yard, hung a plastic sheet from the clothesline, right. attached plastic sleeves ah, that you could reach your, your arms, arms yeah. through right. in one direction and in the other. So grandma could come and put her hands through the sleeves right. and you, you could put your hands through your sleeves on your side and you could actually Huggies. hug each other yeah. coated in this plastic protection. Right, but you're still getting the physical contact. You're getting that sense of closeness. Sure. And there was something bittersweet and sad and lovely about that idea. Yes. But yes. it's a creative act, which was really interesting. Hug machine? It's a hug glove. 
he, he has called it the hug glove. Okay. So, happy Mother's Day, Mom. We're going to give you a hug on Mother's Day. Put your arms through. So, you have to put your arms. I'm putting my arms through the top. <laughs> and you have to put yours through the bottom holes. Okay. And you're shorter. <laughs> and I get to hug I my mom. <laughs> Yeah, you keep your arms in there, Nanny. You get all the hugs today. Now, Freddie, your turn. You gotta stick your arms in and give your grandma a hug. Nanny, And there is something I should have said at the beginning of the podcast, and I should have prefaced this entire discussion with that, and so I'll, I'll say it now. Mm-hmm. When we talk about these things, we have to acknowledge that both you and I, to a certain level, we're privileged. We're privileged to be sitting here, being able to do this podcast. Yep. There's a lot of people out there that don't have the comfort, that don't have the situation that allows even part of what we're discussing. Of course, I get it. Uh, so these yeah. things that we're talking about are wonderful and they're happening but they're also happening from a position of privilege. I know, but on the other hand, there are millions and millions and millions and millions of people who are in a position of privilege, who have the time, who are able to apply creative thinking to these issues and these problems that have emerged, like long-term care facilities or the economy or what have you, and are coming up with and thinking about better ways of living, better ways of running the economy, better ways of running the health system, which are going to go beyond this crisis. So Mm -hmm. you could think about the economy and the whole movement towards universal basic income. Governments all around the world are spending billions of dollars creating these programs Mm -hmm. at multiple levels, municipal, provincial, statewide, individual, etc. And they're all kind of bureaucratically entwined and entangled in different ways and a bit clunky. Yes. And a lot of people are saying, we don't need all of that clunkiness. Provide a basic income for everyone across the board or a basic income supplement so that there's a baseline limit, a minimum that people need to survive and they get that. Yes. And you can solve a lot of these issues and the anxiety around whether my job's going to come back right Mm -hmm. away, et cetera, et cetera. And you also improve the situation as it's happening because you don't know how long this specific situation is going to continue. That's right. So in the interim you are freeing up those families that have that basic income to really focus their energy on improving the situation within the confinement of that time period. So the mother who wants to homeschool can do so in a much better fashion if she knows that at least there's enough food coming in for them to eat. Exactly. The basics are looked after. It's like Maslow's law. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe you could extrapolate. Well, Maslow's Maslow's law basically says... And it's based on a hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Each level that you come to, your ability to go up to the next level depends on you having arrived at a point of comfort in the level that you're in. So, for example, if you're hungry, 
you really can't get to the next level of learning until you remove the starvation. Right. I get it. It's a kind of a, a ladder of needs to be met in Correct. order to move. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the reason why in our society we often talk about it in broader terms. We talk about privileged children or children that come out of wealthy homes or, in a sense, those layers have been achieved one way or another to get them to that particular state, whether right. it's by design or by accident, whatever. Right. So this idea of meeting people's basic needs to start with on mm-hmm. that ladder, if you like, it's been experimented with in countries like Holland and Canada, yep. and Kenya, Finland yep. has been doing this. Recently, Spain, in the middle of this crisis, has instituted or is about to institute a basic income program because they've lost 890,000 jobs during this period. And they've been hit really hard, but they plan to extend beyond the crisis this idea. And so some of these countries instituting this will be an experiment to see whether it really can work over the long term. Most of these experiments are not that long. Mm -hmm. And some of them sort of have worked and some of them have found, well, people have not been as quick to want to work, Mm -hmm. given that that they're getting a regular income. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be fine-tuned, obviously. But it's there in the atmosphere. I'd like to speak about that for a moment, because this is the common opposition to such systems, is that the perception is that if you give someone a basic income, that you no longer incentivize them. That's right. They no longer have the desire to seek work. Right. I don't particularly agree with that view, unless you're giving them such an extravagant amount that they literally never have to do anything else. Right. What we're talking about is a level of subsistence that gives you enough to look after your basic needs, but certainly the great majority of people, given that level of comfort, will aspire to more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they will work accordingly. And those that don't, in my opinion, should not be penalized If they're living in a certain way and they do not want more, unless they're putting stress on people that are working harder and taking from them, I don't see why they should be penalized for choosing to live a life that doesn't have all those things that other people perhaps want. So to me, it's a way of kind of removing the entire social judgment of how we should live. Yeah. And take a sector like the arts sector. Most artists, 99.9% of artists who are committed to that way of living, right? it doesn't matter whether they have $1,000 coming in a month or $20,000 coming in a month. Right. That impulse to be creative and to improve or inspire people in the world, mm-hmm. it's always going to be there no right. matter what. So that sector, I don't think we need to worry about in terms of, oh, are they going to stop what they've been doing right. and just sit around? But it's not going to happen. But that's not necessarily an easy thing for people who are focused on money. Yeah. To understand. Sure. Because it's a way of thinking. It's a way of living. Yeah. It's this understanding that we all have things to contribute and create and that a lot of the values that we've assigned to things have not necessarily been balanced. That's right. And we can go back to uh, our buddy, Andrew Welch. Yes. Who um, a few podcasts ago, we popped in a seven or eight minute excerpt of his idea of universal basic income. And he also wrote a book called The Value Crisis, which talks about exactly what you're talking about. Yes, it's in the description. Actually, the the value crisis one goes all the way back to our second podcast back in July of 2017. Right. Now, I should backtrack a little bit because 
I did say that these universal basic income experiments didn't last too long, but there is one that has lasted a long time, and that's the Alaska Permanent Fund, uh-huh. which actually began in 1982 okay. to help people out. It started around $300 a month. I didn't know this. And it varies year per year, depending. Okay. By 2008, the size of the annual dividends that citizens received reached an all-time high of $2,069 per person okay. per year. And can you tell year. me a little bit about that? The dividend that they created corresponded to part of the average interest earned over the previous five years, creating this fund okay. from the revenues from oil and mining, etc. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, now, they're not the only ones to do that. Some of the Middle Eastern countries also do okay. that. So it's they, actually a dividend on productivity. Based on productivity, right. Exactly. But shared with the citizenry. Exactly. Right. And so since 1982, they've been doing that in Alaska. Mm. So there are some long-term programs that have been going on like that. It's not a lot, if you think about it, $300 per person per annum, even $2,000 per person per annum. It's not tons. No, but it's already an initial thought in the whole concept of redistribution of wealth. Exactly. It's a nod in that direction. What we're talking about here is a kind of an evolution of the welfare state. Yes, and sharing in wealth is very different from just giving things away. Yeah. I think that's something that really has to be thought through because we have a tendency in Western culture yep. and specifically in very capitalistic countries because even capitalism, there are levels of capitalism depending on which country you're in. Sure. We all recognize the U.S. as being the prime example of capitalism at its max. But there's also a kind of mixed blend of ideas, what some people would call socialistic. Canada, Sweden. Yeah, exactly. We're capitalist, but we have a little bit of that counterbalance. Sure. So the whole idea then, where the creative aspect comes from, is not thinking that you're giving things away or that people are being lazy. It's that you're appreciating the entire culture Mm-hmm, for what mm-hmm. they contribute. And never has there been a better example of that than now with all these healthcare workers. Tell me what most people would suggest that their value is right now. Exactly. Well, obviously their value has shot up in our estimation. Right, but they're doing what they've always done. Mm-hmm. Or why could these people not also have been appreciated similarly before? Mm-hmm. And it's like that with a lot of things. You mentioned an artist. Well, someone who creates, produces a movie or writes a book offer something to society at large that sometimes, to me, even of greater value than someone who produces a widget. And you can't put a monetary value on that. Exactly. Yeah. There is this video that has been circulating around, and it's an interview with a Dr. Bush, Zach Bush, American fellow, yes. I guess, who is an endocrinologist And it's an incredible interview because his thinking about the virus, its origin, and what it means for us is really creative in a sense. Yes, it is. He stepped out of the the normal medical box and its way of thinking, and he's pointed us at the whole notion of our ecosystems being disrupted, our immune systems being disrupted. Uh, through our interventions, and how uh, COVID and corona 
seems to relate to the levels of air pollution. There's more mortality in areas where the air pollution is yes. very high or in where there's toxic substances being put into the earth agriculturally. Which makes sense, logically. Well, it does. But why have we not heard this talked about before? Well, again, and we should be careful when we mention these things, is that both you and I, sort of the idea behind the, the video, the, his conversation to me made perfect sense logically. Neither one of us are clinicians or medical experts. However, the video made sense. Yeah, provided that the information he right. gave in the video is correct. Yes. His sort of analysis of the situation, as in uh, this is actually a kind of cyanide poisoning, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, not the virus per se. He's saying that the virus has unmasked the toxicity. Yes. It's unmasking the toxicity of our bodies and the environment. Basically, what he's saying is this virus, like most viruses, exist constantly. We just provide the environment for them to flourish in. Yeah. And, uh, or you not. Know, and this whole uh, military right. uh, speak. Warlike. You know, the war on the virus, you know, yeah. warring on this virus, killing it off, is completely off base. Well, it is for me because it's kind of implying that the virus has a plan. It's planned mm -hmm. this attack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just doing its own thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we are, in turn, doing our own thing, right. which isn't necessarily tying in with nature. Mm -hmm. The other important thing about this particular video to me was not so much the factual part, because you can always argue facts and levels of expertise. Yeah. For me, it was more that this fellow, apart from his background and his education, which was obvious, it was his life experience with the birthing of children in the Philippines and spending time in hospices. Yeah. That, yeah. to me, is what made the video more impactful in some ways, because he was describing things not just from a scientific level, but from a spiritual human level, which is largely lacking in a lot of the political discussions. Yeah, we don't need to say too much more about it because people should go themselves. Yeah. It's about yeah. an hour and 20 minutes long. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube, Dr. Yeah. Zach Bush. And it's an incredible interview. It's actually called The Doctor Who Predicted COVID-19 Answers All. Right. I sat down and listened to it, and it's extraordinary. Yeah, it's interesting because I put it out as a blind BCC email to about 40 or 50 people. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that those that did respond, but the level of some of the responses has been very, very encouraging to me mm -hmm. because it shows me that whether they thought about it before or not, they're certainly more vociferous about it now. So perhaps, as we're talking about here with this whole creative process, yeah. the creative process has also been creative thinking. Okay, so let me just get personal for a second, mm. Peter. In terms of your experience during this time, where have you found sort of a creative uh, impulse showing itself? Well, I, I don't know about the creative impulse because I kind of had that already, and it's part of what I do. But what it's done, my experience through this time, it's elevated it to another level, in that I no longer just do things to get certain things done, even with clients. I feel like there's more purpose behind what I'm doing because I see that I have certain skills that have taken on a certain amount of significance in the sense that I can supply, i.e., some technical skills to facilitate the dissemination of information. Yeah, but did you have to use or discover some creative ways of doing that? Well, I had to discover more efficient ways of doing certain things because okay. I wanted to do more of it. So 
I always had the ability to do that, but I never had the situation where I had to go to that because it wasn't frequent enough. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I was just going to update something once or twice, you know, I wouldn't bother automating it because it was a process that would take 30 seconds, 50 seconds, so I wouldn't bother. But now, for example, the automation process becomes more significant because now there's something that I want to do on an ongoing basis. So I design things to be more efficient. Okay, which takes creative energy. Yes. Ultimately, as I've mentioned to you since we began these podcasts, even the creative aspect is a means to an end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so what's the big picture? The big picture is how can we live just generally healthier, happier lives uh, without wanting to sound cliche? That's the essence of it. Right. And I mean, out of this crisis, that is what people are thinking about as post pandemic mm-hmm. is how can life be better than it was? Yeah. Because we cannot go back to what it was before. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Before this crisis occurred, how many people were thinking that thought? We can't do well, what we were doing. Okay. Actually, now that you said it, that I think is the essence of, of a lot of what I do, directly or indirectly is to oppose this whole idea of, I can't. Mm -hmm. Sure. My thinking is, you can. You may not always be able, you may not always have all the tools that you need to do it, but begin by not saying, you can't. Of course. And then if you fail, you fail. But at least that you believe in yourself, because this isn't just about better lives, this is also about feeling better about yourself Mm -hmm. and knowing that you can do things or attempt to do them Rather than take the old way of thinking, say, well, it'll never happen. You can't change it. Don't bother. Yeah. And as an artist, as a writer, I mean, there's incredible satisfaction in putting your energy towards creating something new in the world, Mm -hmm. crafting it, working on it, and then putting it out there as a kind of a gift. Yes. And so all of these creative acts are basically gifts to the world. Gifts. And if someone had asked me four or five years ago, because as you know, without getting into details, I gave up a phenomenal amount of money in the workforce, which has had its uh, drawbacks personally as well. I mean, there's no question about it. But that whole thing about gifting and this thinking that gifting is free and has no value. Yeah, of course. It depends on how you see that. Because, for example, we've gotten more donations during this crisis than we did when the crisis was none. You would Donations think for? The podcast. I, I, oh. I meant to mention to you, okay. we received a few hundred dollars over the course of hmm. two weeks. Wow. And, I mean, it's, it's minimal, obviously. But the point is that you would think at a time when people are afraid of their financial situations that don't have it to give, and suddenly they're giving it at a time when they can least give it. This is great, because we can wrap this up by me saying, we're going to take that donation money, and (laughs) I'm going to take you out to dinner at a very special new restaurant, speaking of creativity, that has been created in Sweden. In Sweden, yeah. It's called Table for One. Yes. And the idea is it's a solo dining experience, and Mm -hmm. they have a table out in a field for one person, and you go sit there, and they have a contraption that sends the bread towards the table. I know. And the foods come and all that. And you have this incredible experience of being by yourself, but not feeling alone. You're in nature and that sort of thing. Right. So I'm going to take you there with that money and blow our money, money. on this table for one restaurant. You'll go in first well, and have your meal, and then I'll go in. How we get into Sweden? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a caremongering group to help us get over there. And don't worry, we'll get there. Okay, Harry. <laughs> Send in your comments. 
hit the uh, audio record button on our website and drop us some yes. uh, some thoughts about what you're doing during this crisis. What's your creative act like? Yes, and maybe we should uh, very quickly just mention to them that along the lines of this entire uh, situation with COVID-19, we will be talking once again to Dr. Claudia Six, right. who we interviewed in 2018 about her book, Erotic Integrity. Yep. Well, she's going to come back to talk to us about relationships and sex during COVID-19. That's on the next one. Fantastic. Beyond that, all I can say is ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.